Why, hello, and welcome to issue 712 of Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your horror... <laughs> I went to be like, I'm one of your horror hosts, but I think I just came out, I'm your whore, Aron Duran. <laughs> and I'm your other horticulturist, being a Rita. What's shaking me? <laughs> I mean... I'll, I didn't know what to do there. I didn't. I mean, it's a noble profession. I would do it if people want to pay me. It's fine, whatever. Yeah. I mean, we're all there's no sex work shaming in this place. Yeah, I mean, I'm a writer for a living. Like, what is what? I I give you of my soul instead of my body. Either way, I just want a <laughs> buck ninety nine a month. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, I think I have a cold. I'm grumpy about no. it. No. There is nothing worse than Halloweeny colds. I know. Well, th- th- it's actually kind of Halloween's fault because, like, October. How you, dare you? You go so hard in October. Next thing you know, you have, like, Sweet. You've given your last. You got to eat well. You got to, it's the long haul. Halloween is a marathon, not a sprint. I'm a whore for Halloween. Oh, there he goes. Yeah. Well, if that were true, we'd get paid to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was that. I was like that sickly kid. I get so excited about Halloween during like grade school and junior high that I was sick almost every. I would ramp myself up so much that I would have like an asthma attack and then be sick for Halloween. Oh my gosh! I know it's so bad, so sad. Ooh, that's better. So, what's doesn't matter. So yeah, uh, as we talked about, no cable for the next two weeks because he's out there scaring children. <laughs> uh, as as is his, as is what brings him joy is the way of his people. And by I mean, his people, I mean I mean more. haunters. He, he's probably scaring more adults than children. To be honest, I mean yeah, that's true. Yeah, probably. It's not as funny yeah. though, I guess, if you with the phrasing. Although scaring adults is definitely funnier for sure. They react yeah. a lot better for kids. Than I kids. always phrase it as like, you know, as haunt, describe haunting as, you know, like, like making grown men run and scream. So. Well, worse than that, uh, making grown men show their true colors and throw their girlfriends in front of them as human shields. <laughs> uh, I have told many of people that the best way to test a relationship, like a few months in, is go to a haunted house. And I'm like, ladies... If he sacrifices your, I'm not saying like, oh, he screamed like a baby. Uh, he's not a man. No, fuck all that. People react to whatever. It's right. if he just throws your ass in front of you and pushes you forward. <laughs> no. That That's a man who ain't going to have your back when the shit goes down. Right. You know. Uh, not that I don't think I'm much better. I don't throw my partners in front of them. In front of me as like shields. Um, but I 100% throw them under the bus and see a, see a scare coming and don't warn them at all. Oh, well, that's different. That's, or what are you going to, you can't interfere with someone else's experience. No, no. But also like if I know the haunters and I'm out on a date or whatever, I will text them ahead of time and be like, so-and-so's name is this. This is what scares them. We will be there at this time. I will be dressed like this. Whomever I'm with. Get them. Uh, a friend of mine did that to me. Her nephew was working at a haunt. Uh, this is up in Washington. 
Um, and so not only were they being creepy at me, but they knew my name. And I'm like, why does he know my name? It was just <laughs> a, a uniquely upsetting experience. Um, I did that the year that I'm still the most proudest of when I worked for Fright Town. When I was part of Team Hong Kong. Um, the horrifying, like, drunk uncle clowns. Um, uh, Sarah Dillon of Fun Employment Radio, I knew that not that night she was going with her, Greg Miller, and some friends. And I told everyone, she's like, don't you dare single me out. I was like, no, no, Sarah, I never would. I never would. <laughs> it's, that is literally asking for it. Like the very definition of it. I told everyone her name, what scared her. I even, I think, texted her friends that were going to be with her saying, these are the rooms to isolate her in. Oh, so that much. we can pounce. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> it was Rude. good. Um, anyway, what are we doing on the show tonight, Bean? We're going to talk about more horror movies. Spooky. Yes. Uh, By the way, can I just gonna... point out my background now that I'm recording from my new place? Look at, I mean, this is temporary recording, but. Right, right. Just while we're not yeah. at Guardian this week. Look at that. I know. It looks so cool. It makes me jealous yeah. because I've been got... in this house longer than you've been in that apartment, but I have done zero work. Yes, but my apartment is the size <laughs> of your living room. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Still. But I got spooky fake candles. I got Haunted Mansion over there. I got I got the son of Black Phillip up here. <laughs> Frankenstein's over there. Anyway. So, yes. Horror movie reviews. We're, we're still, still in the world of horror. Yes. Uh, we're going to narrow it down a little bit this week and focus on the older films that we've seen recently. And by older, we're talking 1920s and 1930s. Yeah, we're talking 100 years of horror right now. Ooh. I do believe, actually, I think technically this year is the 100th anniversary, or maybe last year, of Universal Classic Monsters, because they count the Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera as the kickoff, and that was 1922, I think. The Phantom is a Universal Monster? It is. Well, that iteration of him, yeah. Sure, sure. Interesting. I don't know mm-hmm. that I would categorize him in that way, but uh, I think it's that Universal put it out, and the Hunchback of Notre Dame, or the Phantoms, considered a horror movie, so they just put it in. Sure, uh, it, it's but, like but it's, how but, it's about... not, but it's not an original property. Also, right. I, would, well, I, just, I wouldn't really call the Phantom a monster in that same. Oh, I know. You know That's a whole. You're going to get me going. I'm that way about Frankenstein's monster. I mean, that's that's that everyone knows that now, the the whole Frankenstein thing. I literally only consider one, one and a half of the Universal Monsters as truly monsters. The mummy is a monster, Karloff's mummy. And then Dracula, yeah, he's half monster. He just kind of wants to be loved. The only problem is he wants to use (laughs) domination. He has a fucked up way of expressing his love. But Frankenstein... Tragedy, didn't ask to be born. Wolfman, didn't ask for the curse. Creature in a Black Lagoon, hey, how about we don't infect, how about we don't invade your, like, Black Lagoon? Right. Um, well, visible Man, Science Run Amok. This know. is us getting into it. Yeah, no, sorry. You know, I feel like, before we get into it, should we talk about a sponsor? Yes, let's, let's okay. do. Sorry. Full disclosure, I was like, Bean, we're going to be, like, locked in this week. Here's how we're going to do it. 
and then I didn't do it. You know who does do it? Asylum. Yeah. <laughs> Asylum. Our friends are back. I mean, they were never gone. Uh, That's right. They never went anywhere. We just haven't been talking about them for a while. But yeah. the, the They were like Batman movie. Returns. Batman didn't actually leave. He just only had a second movie. But he was always there. <laughs> <laughs> just like Asylum. Um, That's the right. holidays are coming up. And so, you know, we're they are back in our lives. So uh, for us to tell you, remind you about how much great stuff they have in their stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, operating hours are a little different than they used to be so you want to talk about that yeah i mean they used to be seven days a week way back before the pandemic and it was one of those things like everyone closed and they reopened in limited hours and then it was one of the things where like they ran the numbers and they're like okay for the last year and a half post quote pandemic end mm-hmm. they're like we're only open friday saturday and sunday we're still making the same amount of money so why are we losing money by being open days that people don't fucking shop for this kind of stuff? Right. Retail makes total hours sense. Are really hard, especially if you own your own business. Yeah, you don't have so, a life. So their regular hours right now are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from noon to four. I know that sounds super limited, but um, you know, it works for them, it'll work for you. I mean, most of us are working Monday through Friday gigs anyway. We can't get there at one o'clock on a Tuesday. Right. Um, uh, however, if one o'clock on a Tuesday is the only time that you can mm-hmm. get down there, you can schedule an appointment uh, and then they will make accommodations to meet you uh, on your schedule. To shop. Yeah, send, yeah, just send them an email so they can make an appointment between 10 and 3. Uh, pretty much any, I mean, clearly not Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They're open. Um, yeah, any up. other day. Yeah, uh, you send them an email at asylum at pdxasylum.com and they'll schedule an appointment. And look, if you're going to schedule an appointment, at least be, I'm going to say 70% ready to make a purchase and like a decent purchase, not be like, oh, I saw this wallet on your Facebook page. Can you uproot your life for half a day so I can give you nine ninety? <laughs> I mean, look, a sale's a sale, but as one who has stayed open late in retail and the fucker like, well, I'm just going to buy this Coke now. I'm like, really? You kept me open for 45 minutes and you're buying a Coke zero. How dare you? So like, be Make aware, it worth everybody's you know? while. Yeah. Yeah. But then in yeah. December, they are going to switch to seven days a week, noon to four. Right. So um, twice as many opportunities to, to pop in and, and do a shop. Yeah. And as always, 3713 Southeast Hawthorne Boulevard, right across from the Baghdad, next to Powell's. Uh, Facebook is PDX Asylum. Instagram is PDX underscore Asylum. Um, Yeah, there's just so many cool things. And we're going to talk more about their products in the coming weeks and stuff. I think I talked about it last week. I'm pretty sure when we were playing Ravenloft last weekend, I brought it up again. But I am going to go down there this week and get that, that single candle holder so that I can just roam my 528 square feet like a victorian ghost yes i have a balcony i will brood yeah i will i will i will glare at people hanging out outside by the 84 on-ramp by northeast davis (laughs) it's awesome definitely glare at them they're up to no good Mm. uh fire cow uh, over my shoulder that is not the halloween equivalent of the yule log um, so if you have the Disney plus, the new haunted mansion dropped, which is, I'll review that later. 
But the cool thing is it came with two ambient backgrounds, one of the outside of the Haunted Mansion and one of the ballroom. So that's what that is. Cool. Uh, please don't sue me, Disney. Um, I've given you more screen time right here from the Haunted Mansion than anyone else did for the movie. I mean, I don't know that I'd call it like stealing content that you're airing a, uh, you know, what is essentially a screensaver. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, back to Asylum. 3713 uh, Southeast Hawthorne <laughs> Boulevard. Uh, the other thing of note is uh, I guess they will have switched to seven hours or seven days a week in December, uh, noon to four. However, we all know that like the closer we get to the actual holiday date, uh, mm-hmm. more people are scrambling to get those last minute goodies and find the perfect thing. So yeah. they will extend their hours uh, throughout the course of the month as needed. Yeah. And we're going to go out like, yeah, exactly. And like we said, we'll go over more of their stuff, but they have got a bunch of new cool items that have showed up. Um, like a month or so ago, I popped in to look at everything. Um, and I'm excited to go back and spend some money. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So spend money there so they'll spend more money on us so that I can give more money. So anyway, it's the circle of, <laughs> look, it's capitalism. It is what it is, but keep it local at least. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, thank you Asylum. Sorry Anton Adeb, no really bizarre segues this time. He they I forwarded you guys the email. He wrote me yesterday and he's like first commercial Chef's Kiss had us rolling. So Not to the more, the mark. <laughs> the more, I feel like we should put together a media package that says you too can reach a completely unhinged form of advertising. <laughs> I mean, that's a niche service that we provide. Um, it comes from years of improvising and our love of asylum. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I could promise that to just anybody. Well, I mean, who knows? Woo! Woo! Get too uh, warm. It was, it was crushing my head. Mm. I have a massive forehead. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. So, there it is. Okay, <sighs> so let's talk about some... Historic horror. Yeah, so I call that historic. They're hundred year old movies. I mean, uh, one's almost a hundred years old. The other one is definitely over a hundred years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, first off, you saw. Well, let me pull. Well, up we'll just list. get right into it. Do you want to drop in? You want to jump into the first movie that you saw? Hold on. Well, I don't necessarily want to do them in order. But okay. here's here's the jam is let me pull up let me pull up my letterbox diary. Uh black and white, like old, old movies that I've seen uh over the last couple of weeks, you know, due to the Mopop list. Uh mm-hmm. I think the very first one was Phantom of the Opera. More recently I watched uh Frankenstein, uh, as well as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is a little oh no, I'm sorry, Frankenstein was uh, it was the nineteen thirty-one version, so it got a little bit more modern. Uh, which I do want to talk about. Um, and the one that was most noteworthy, the one that I want to talk about, like, probably spend the most time on, is uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari from 1920. All right. Um, so, I don't know. I guess I'll save that one for last. Sure, we can do that. Um Let's do let's 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 do leapfrog order. Uh, Frankenstein. You're already familiar with Frankenstein, 1930. I I I am. I mean, that's, it's probably my second, I go back and forth, but it's probably my second favorite universal horror movie, but also my second favorite 
Karloff performance, ironically, the number ones are also still two different movies. So for me, number one is Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, I adore that movie. So I'm going to tell you right now that I cheated. I know I it's said I was very doing, weird. I was doing like I said I was doing like random draws, um, mm-hmm. and I pulled Bride of Frankenstein, but I felt like I couldn't in in good conscience watch the Bride of Frankenstein if I've never seen the Boris Karloff Frankenstein. So. You you can't. I mean, he's in Bride also, but that's the one that you can't. You have to see the original one first. Um, yeah, I, 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 it felt wrong. So I was like, yeah, okay, fine. I but, will watch Bride of Frankenstein, but not before I, Frankenstein. I, I will add, when you finally watch Bride, there's going to be a moment when you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, Also, this feels super queer-coded. And you'll hmm. and spoilers. Yeah, it is. Okay, um, interesting. But also... I feel like everyone who watches Bride, this, this is not spoilers, but I feel like everyone who watches The Bride of Frankenstein for the first time has that moment of, holy crap, the image of the bride. So this is some spoilers. So for a hundred year old movie. Oh, so, yeah. I was going to preface that too. I'm like, I am probably going to spoil some of these movies. And part of me is like, uh, y'all should have seen them by now. They're hundred. They're a hundred years old. Says the bitch who only just watched some of these movies for the first time ever. Uh, yeah, so, and they're literally free if you go to your library. I mean, so all this to say, sorry if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, I hadn't either, and uh, we're just right. Like, so like, this is what we do here. So sorry. yeah. So I don't. I don't know if we're gonna get to review it after you watch the bride. The one thing I will add that is incredibly impressive about not only the actor who plays the bride. Uh, but the, the but it's probably one of the most iconic costumes and horror and monster makeups of all time, because you say the Bride of Frankenstein, you see her in your head, you know what she looks like. Uh, she mainly has she maybe has eight minutes of screen time. Wow, how long is the movie? Almost an hour and a half. Okay, it's it's just one of those things. It's like holy crap. Right. Um, Anyway, that was a long way to say that's my favorite Universal, but my favorite Boris Karloff's performance is probably The Mummy. His Ardeth Bay is a is kind of a genuine villain. Although mm-hmm. his Frankenstein, which we're going to get to now, is equally impressive to me. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, like at this point, uh, the con like the concept, the story of Frankenstein, and I haven't read the book, but I I do intend to one of these days. Um, is I think you'll like. A- is is such a like a known i mean i wouldn't say it's part of the zeitgeist uh it's it's part of our foundation at this point i think it is i mean it's even if you've never seen it or read it you know what the story is and you know that the the takeaway is like you know we're the monsters not not the monster that was created he he didn't ask for any of this uh, it's us who are wrong for our mob mentality and for playing God. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but because, well, it's not even an argument. It's it's pretty much a literary fact in terms of. I feel like I want to add to this. In terms of Western literature, Frankenstein is the first science fiction book. It. It just is. Um, when people talk about the first book that has like science fiction and then maybe like science horror, 
um, it, it's the first one. It just, it just is, you know. Um, uh, where was I? Maybe it was you, but someone, I was in a group, in a, around a group of people and someone said that, uh, like someone did some research or some thinking on it. And uh, the last story that they considered truly original was Frankenstein. That That was me from a literary professor who told me Frankenstein is the last Frankenstein was the last story that was truly original. And I mean that the idea of like man versus man, man versus nature. And then he expanded it. Boy meets girl, girl meets girl, girl loses girl, girl. Like there's these icons and it's. Yeah. Frankenstein was the last one that was original. It was, it's not man versus nature. It's man versus hubris. Right. You know, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And I mean, like that, that makes sense, like objectively, but I'm not a studied, uh, and I, I don't study literature, so I could neither, I can agree sure. with that, but it doesn't really mean much. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, uh, but all this to say, like, we know what we know, right? Again, it's like so deeply embedded in our culture that uh, one might think that I didn't really take much away from this movie. Um, but that's not true. I I enjoyed it. Uh, and, and you're right. Uh, Boris Karloff's uh, portrayal of Frankenstein's monster is, is beautiful and... Mm-hmm. And, and touching uh, in an era where there's just, in my experience, not a ton of nuance. And, and part of the reason I wanted to talk about these older films is because um, in some ways I'm changing my mind about silent films in particular, these older black and white silent films. Oh yeah, because like a few months ago you were like, they just don't do it for me. They don't. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a modern kid and... I just, I grew up with a very specific and modern uh, experience of what is storytelling and, sure. and what is performance and, and silent films are so different. And also like, I don't, I don't mean to say that they aren't nuanced, but, but not to my perspective, they aren't because I am used to something much, much later culturally in terms of of how to tell a story and how to act and what what looks realistic or is conceivable within the parameters sure. of like, I know this isn't real, but you still have to sell it to me like it's real. Yeah. Um, and I also think part of it, it probably wasn't until the 50s where a lot of these films began stop being treated like we're just going to record a stage production but it's got a video but it's got a film camera and, and you probably know especially silent films they still are shot like stage productions right um and we'll we'll get to it but i think one of the reasons why caligari has an impact is that it's clearly a stage but it is not shot like a play at all no oh my but god we'll get I, to don't, that. I don't even know what it became yeah. with that um <laughs> It's so okay. So I I am so underwhelmed, for lack of a better word, by most silent films that we're sitting down to watch Frankenstein. And I actually, in my mind, I thought it was an older silent era film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was surprised by how modern and dynamic it felt. 
because the camera moves with the characters. It's, it's a talkie and like you mm -hmm. get close-ups and the, the uh, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of restoration that happens, but so too have, has anything from 1920s that I stream has had restoration. Right. But the, the, the camera, the, the picture was so crisp compared to what I was expecting when I thought it was, you know, more in the style of the twenties. Right. Um, and a lot of that is the director, James Whale. Um, it, which, because he is a, he, he did theater before a theater directing, but his passion was always painting. So he is very much a person who tells a story visually. So I feel like he has an eye towards that style and also, uh, something else I'd recommend if you haven't had a chance yet, after, especially after you watch The Bride of Frankenstein, mm -hmm. if you haven't yet, please, I encourage everyone, watch Of Gods and Monsters with Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser, which is about James Whale's final days. And Brendan Fraser basically plays his pool boy. And Oh, I've heard of this. It is a beautifully heartbreaking film. That's the movie where I was like, oh, Brendan Fraser's more than just George of the Jungle or what have you. And it was my first real exposure to Ian McKellen. Mm. Um, it, that, that was a long way to get, go is that I think one of the reasons why Frankenstein and then eventually The Bride have this dynamic sh shooting, especially with, with characters, especially with the creature, is that... James Whale was one of the few openly gay people in Hollywood in that era. He did not, he didn't, he didn't flaunt it, but he didn't hide it either. And I think, especially in that era, if you're a gay man, uh, you get what it's like to be something you didn't ask to be and how society treats you and you shoot said story accordingly whether it's subconscious or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that impacts a lot of it. Anyway, uh, well, you know, and that speaks to why The Bride of Frankenstein is on a list of movies that you have to see that does not include a lot of sequels. Right, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, and again, this in an era where presumably to me, there's not a lot of like IP recycling yet. Not really, no. There's not really the concept of IP. They're just, and a lot of these are adapting stage versions. Like Frankenstein and Dracula are both adaptations of stage versions. Um, Phantom of the Opera, too, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Was a, was a stage production first? Um, not as we know it now, not the. No, well, no, that's the modern yeah. musical. Yeah, yeah. That was totally yeah. original for better way of putting it um it's because weber wanted to never mind it's a whole nother fair enough we can talk about that some other day um yeah. it's so funny i was talking to our friend merrick uh recently and she said i you know like i hear that you're like a really big fan of phantom of the opera and i'm like <laughs> everybody thinks that and I mean, it's not, it's not not true exactly, but <clears throat> I had to like elaborate. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a, I'm a really big fan of the 1989 Robert Englund horror film, The Phantom of the Opera. 
but I don't think I I've never did. seen it either. And I know that. Ooh, oh, so good. Oh my God. You should. All right. See how it. about. All right. We should have a day where you show me that and I will show you. I have the Blu ray of Return of the Living Dead. Excellent. Excellent point. Nice. Um, okay. But it's, it's objectively its own thing because it's. Well, no, it, it's it's not its own thing because the Phantom of the Opera is considered a horror, but but it's the first time they go straight up horror with it. I feel like, right? Is that the vibe? Well, yes, there are. There is the 1921 film version adaptation, mm-hmm. and then nothing until 1989, and they turn it into a straight up horror. And then in like the late 90s or early 2000s, there is a movie, like a, like, a, like a filmed version of what is the musical. And then on the stage side of things, I, I, I don't know if there was a different stage production of the Phantom of the Opera, but it wasn't a musical if they're exactly. You know, so right? there was this thing in the early to mid 90s, because I remember near my hometown Reno it played for like three months there was a weird hybrid version that took elements visually from Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom and the Universal Phantom but then made it like a comedy and it was really really weird and I remember being like a young kind of little drama fag and being like I want to go see Phantom and being so disappointed that neither was it the the silent film version that adapted the stage, but nor was it the musical fucking version. Andrew Lloyd Webber. It was this weird, like dumb hybrid, and I was like, "Well, this is trash." How uh, dare you? <laughs> Kevin said, uh, "The Phantom of the Haha," and I hate it. That was it. It was so dumb. And I remember, like, my local like KATEV Channel Twenty One, like they bought all the ad space. They're like the classic. Broadway now comes with jokes. So here's a funny thing is um, my sister, according to my sister, we grew up constantly playing like the a CD version of like the, like the soundtrack to the musical. <clears throat> right. Um, but I don't remember that. Not even a little bit. What I remember is I loved the 89 horror flick. And then, mm-hmm. instead, like in the late '90s, they put out a film version of the musical, and I was so excited for it. But I was expecting a, like a horror, horror, you know, like a, oh. in, the, in the same style. And then, and the, because that one's not a musical at all. I, I mean, like there's a little tiny bit of singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is part of the story that they they. It's all part of the story. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm like. Why are they all singing and dancing? What the fuck is this? Because uh, as a kid, I don't think I was actively aware of the fact that there is there was an Andrew Lloyd Webber right. musical. Again, I mean, I the Phantom is the Phantom is arguably the first incel musical. <laughs> <laughs> Love me. Oh God. Oh 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 my God! I hate that. I know. And don't get me wrong, when I was 13, like, I felt for him. I felt the, the pain of not being loved. I mean, when objectively, I older, he's I would... a tragic figure, you know? He's a, he is. Isn't he, like, yeah, a he war is. veteran who's, like, disfigured? And, and 
and then got cast aside by society. Yeah, because I think in the original story, he's a he's disabled from the Napoleonic Wars. So, um, but that feeds into your um, into your thought process, your your theses about um, <laughs> what each universal monster like is and stands for. And I don't sure. not want to talk yeah. about that, but <clears throat> I want to segue into uh talking about dr caligari well can we touch just a little bit more on frankenstein oh sure because you mentioned like it, it it impacted you more than you thought it would oh yes um and i'm curious as to why is it Karloff's? because Karloff blew everyone away so when he was in the middle of filming this he thought because he didn't have a lot of acting gigs yet mm-hmm. he was cast by james whale because james whale saw him playing a heavy in some like gangster movie and he was halfway through filming and he told, I forgot. There's so many fun stories. Like a, he was for, so one time he went to the commissary in his Frankenstein's monster makeup and he made a woman pass out. So after that, he was not allowed to walk around the set without a veil over his head, lest he uh, harm the women that worked for Carl Lemley Uh, and Carl Lemley jr who's the producer on that. Um, anyway, he was convinced. He's like, oh my God, my camera froze. Uh, oh, can no. you hear me still, Bean? Yes, I can still hear you. All right, I'm not going to fight with it anymore then. If you can still hear me, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, he was convinced that this was going to end his career. He's like, well, I'm playing a monster. I'm done. And I think someone else in Universal was like, no, you don't understand. You've made it. Like, your performance changes everything and this is 1932 you know so um yeah i mean and part of it is like the makeup is great this is considered especially by fx people like our friend claire like frankenstein is considered when creature effects makeup began like this is the one like even the reason why his face looks so gaunt is karloff removed the bridge in his in his mouth so that it pulled his cheeks in more. How old was he? I mean, not that old, but remember, this is back in the day. People lived, they were harder lives then. Sure, sure. I mean, like, I would have taken that with context. It was a hundred years ago. Um, yeah. And that, that's, that, I mean, that's a very effective way to change your face. Um, I thought, I just assumed it was makeup. Uh, you know, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Lon Chaney and Phantom of the Opera. I'm like, that's what everyone is supposed to be so afraid of. It looks almost cartoonish. You know, yeah, but he did that with just makeup, you know? And I'm like, well, okay, that's that's something. Again, right. like, I, I'm, I'm of a different era. And so my expectations are just different, especially because I didn't grow up with a lot of things that predate my own era or the, even the era of my parents. Um, right, that's fair. The appearance is is really not that much of what I appreciated because just like the concept of Frankenstein, uh, you know, being so foundational in our culture, <clears throat> so is the, his look. Just like you were saying, like, I've never seen Bride of Frankenstein, but I can fucking tell you what she looks like. Yeah. Um, those are already iconic, so they can't, I, I won't say they can't, but they, they, they <clears throat> aren't making a, a fresh impact on me now when I see these movies. It's his performance. There's like, I don't know that pathos is the right word, but like 
Mm, I you, think it is. Yeah. You, she really sells the idea, you know, that Karloff really, really performs in such a way that I, I believe that this creature is experiencing certain things for the first time is getting carried away with positive and negative emotions. Um, mm -hmm. You know, doesn't know how to respond to his own fear. There's a, um, there's a, there's a heart achingly childlessness with him. Like he's a child in the beginning, the way he acts mm -hmm. and like, you know, like spoilers when he, when he kills Fritz, like, how can you be mad at that? Like, no, the dude Fritz fucking had a shoves him. No, he had a. Well, even Doctor Frankenstein was like, Fritz always tormented him, and that guy's yes. mentor's like, no, no, kill him. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, this thing no. didn't ask to be born, and then this dude comes up from the stairs and shoves a torch in his face. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I I, I don't think I really thought about that element in particular. Um for the most part, I was like, well, he doesn't know what he's, you know, he doesn't know the harm he's causing, but you're right. Like Fritz abused him and yeah. that changes who you are and how you interact with the rest of the world. Um, and so I don't, I mean like, and then the scene with the little girl, I don't think he intended right. to hurt her, but then there are other things that happen uh, further down the road that it's are harmful and they're not, out of innocence or yeah and that 90. scene with Karloff that scene with Karloff was hard he actually um he didn't want the monster he's like why would I throw her can I just set her in the water and they're like and and Whale was like I get what you're saying but the fact is is that he doesn't understand yet so that when she doesn't come out of the water he's terrified He's so scared. Right. And and then he's just just like running panicked through the mm -hmm. woods. <clears throat> and, and then everyone even, even if he had had like any any kind of malice in that in that scene, why is that little girl playing unsupervised next to a body <laughs> of water? Because obviously she didn't know how to swim. I always think that too, especially when I was younger. I was like, this bitch, why can't she swim? She grew up near I, don't know. I don't know what Germans used to do. Oh, I definitely, uh, I, I definitely made a joke about how, like, when when the mob is coming for him and they're like crossing town as a mob, I'm like, yeah, you know, there's some Nazis in that group, right? <laughs> well, I think during the era this was supposed to take place in proto Nazis. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I I know that it's a little early for for them it's to be little party early. members, but. But there are people who then it doesn't only like an eight-year gap. That there are people there. Well, I mean, down. so it's funny. Like, so there's a it's a delete. It's a scene that got cut. There's a scene that has a horse-drawn carriage with Elizabeth and the dude who's pining for her, who has no point in this movie at all. Uh, and then the dad, uh, they show up in a horse-drawn carriage, and it was cut, whether it be for time or to make it seem timeless i know when they promoted it they called it a modern story but it's i did it's notice not. even though i believe i believe frankenstein was published or written in like 1882 or some such i could uh, tell earlier but yeah that it was the that particular film anyway was <clears throat> produced to be contemporary yeah um and i that was i thought that was an interesting choice 
but so you're saying that they they omitted certain elements of of what they filmed so that it would not seem so of a particular era yeah whether that was for time or whatever but yeah yeah. right okay interesting um so let's uh yeah, it, it, it's an impactful movie. It's still, it's still, as the kids, like, it still works. Like, yes, it's very much filmmaking style of the era, but the themes are still there. The performances aren't, they aren't bad. Some are over the top. I think the guy who plays Victor Frankenstein's very good, especially when he wants to look sinister. Like, when his, when his, like, mentor is like, I taught you everything, and he's like, everything? <laughs> Do you want me to show you what I've discovered, Doctor? I'm like, oh, you. Um, and then Karloff, like Karloff is just, he's so good in it. Mm. Um, he's great. And it's still, it's still an emotional performance almost a hundred years later. Uh, the know? thing I didn't love, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if um, <clears throat> this is true to the book or not, but the, the character of the doctor who they renamed from it isn't is in the book isn't it victor frankenstein yeah and it's what henry and the it's henry movie? there is a victor yeah which was a little bit confusing if you're not paying super good attention but yeah the yeah. frankenstein the doctor the the young man gets renamed henry uh but at right. any rate um I mean, he does the iconic, it's alive, it's alive. Uh, like now, I, like this is what it feels like to be God, which is like pivotal to the movie, all right? Because it's all about the hubris of man. But uh, outside of, of, you know, that and the fact that he did any of this, uh, I right. feel like they, they did too much to make his character... Um, <clears throat> uh likable not likable but just like not the bad guy in any of this yeah you're supposed to like it's weird you're supposed to first see him as a villain in that he dares challenge god but then it's but now i'm the hero to destroy my creation which is not yeah he was at no point point. does he defend his decision he's he's all about controlling the monster uh, taking down the monster. I I can't be married and have a happy life when I know my terrible creation is out there. And that didn't ring true uh, to the same character who would even do such a thing in the first place. And, yeah, and, then it's say, a weird... and then say out loud, now I know what it is to be God. So here's the funny thing. couple of things. First, the quote, the it's alive, it's alive, is mm-hmm. the most replicated line from cinema history other movies have used it so often it gets used all the time whether it's a mainly parody and satire now yeah but, uh, robot chicken is the one that always comes to mind yeah so if you get a chance re-watch that scene when he goes it's alive it's alive oh my god it's alive he says when you sad. listen to him say now i know what it feels like to be gone if the sound sounds weird mm-hmm. it's because that was censored Oh. The censors saw that and lost their shit. That line didn't get brought back until Frankenstein came out on DVD. I'm not surprised by that. Oh, that reminds me. So Christian, it took 70 Christian years for that line to get put back in. 
uh, Christian watched it with me, and he noticed that the scene where the the monster throws the little girl into the water, he felt mm-hmm. like that that little bit of the footage was not as quality as the rest. Like it was grainier, and he wondered if maybe at some point they had omitted that little section because it is like a violence against children. And then you know later it was restored. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, I I didn't catch my eye in that same way. What I do you remember now is that at the beginning of the film someone comes out on stage as though you're seeing it in a live yes. theater to warn you about how shocking this film is going to be and like so, if you're if you're of a delicate constitution like this is your like you know that this was is your sign and if in and if you don't leave well we warned you so that was done intentionally Barry so the movie's produced by Carl Lemley Jr. <laughs> His father, Carl Lemley, big time Golden Age of Hollywood guy. So they screened this film initially, I think, in like fucking Kansas City. And people passed out. Oh my God. They ran from the theater. They from passed which, out. What parts made them pass out? The Bean, you got to remember again, it's fucking 19, what, 32? Like, it's just, 31. this shit just wasn't filmed. You, you didn't see this. Which so, parts were shocking? I'm, I'm, like, I don't I'm know. Like, is it when they throw little girls in the river to No, out? there's. Is it just the idea of making a monster, or the fact that he said God? I'm like, I'm like. God. I think it's that he's like a made from. I don't know, but the story is that people pass out, and Carl Lemley told his son, "We need to film a warning so people can leave if they need to." Um, the other weird thing, so the part with the young girl. Mm-hmm. The reason why some of it looks kind of like tweaked and edited mm-hmm. is that the part where he throws her in the lake um, around um, the Red Scare, so not during the initial release, but during the 50s and early 60s, that scene for some reason was cut out for various reasons. It got put back in in the mid to late 80s because people began to write that it seems more sinister. You see Frankenstein's monster look at the girl with that, like that weird face. Because mainly he's curious, and then it cuts to her limp, lifeless body in her dad's hands. And people were like, what did he do to the little girl? So they put the scene back in and be like, no, no. If people's imaginations, it's actually worse. It's so much worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway. That, oh, wow, that, that had not occurred to me. Uh, yeah. Makes sense, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Those people are terrible. Um, yes. Which is the point of Frankenstein, you could argue. People are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but overall, I did enjoy it. I was not, like, wildly moved by the story or compelled by the story but again like i i'm I'm maybe too familiar with it at this point despite having never seen it the best thing about it is karlov's performance it's karlov i mean Mm -hmm. there's a reason why he intentionally said do not credit me at the beginning i i saw that and that was interesting and it because they want they didn't want people to think like oh karlov he's done these crime movies what's he doing now they didn't want him to be credited. He was like, don't put my name until the end. That's why I think in the beginning it says the monster. Question unknown. mark? Question mark until the mm-hmm. final credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was cool. All right. You want to jump into your Caligari? Yes. 
So I'm going to let you take it away because I feel like you had a special experience with that. I did. I did. Okay. So here we go. I, again, we just spent all this time talking about how not excited I get about uh, silent black and white films. Um, And I, I cannot deny that the experience that I had on Friday going to the Clinton Street Theater with friends to watch a silent movie, foreign also, that I've never seen, um, but with a a band that performed a live score. Obviously, obviously that influenced the experience. All of those elements and like talking about it before and talking about it after. And Yeah, it's, you had the situation, you had like the perfect storm of a great Halloween theater going experience. Yes, yes. And and I'm still sad that I missed Nosferatu with an organist last year at the Hollywood because thanks COVID. Oh, I've seen it I've seen it twice that way now and I love mm, it. Yeah. Uh I there are other movies that are being played uh, that way, but not Nosferatu and not and not on a day that I can attend. Uh so that's still a bummer. But um one of the things that I have noticed when I watch a silent film is that, okay, so they give you cards to read, and between that and the performance, you're supposed to pick up on the nuances uh, of the storytelling and see, you know, like, like there's what they said, but there's what, what they're doing on camera, and thus you you know what they feel and understand, and a like, hammer like. You know, bonk bonk on the head like you're 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 overdoing it uh in, in my mind whenever i watch a song i love I'm that like, you now okay. say bonk bonk on the head i know you've ruined me I, i'm like i get it yeah you're this is scary this is sad okay yes i i understand you've you've made your point quite clear uh but again i have a hundred years more storytelling diversity uh, to to lean back on and and say like sure you're you're selling past the clothes friend like you're really hamming it up right now um and and it's which hard I'm, to which I'm very to... guilty of when I push a, a silent film on you I'm like no it's life changing and you're like ease back yeah. Duran <laughs> yeah I mean it's really hard to sort of like divorce myself from who I am in in this time and place and 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 picture what it must be like to watch um like the fourth movie ever made and 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 what what sort of like context one has to that like i was like i was born in front of a television you know um but that being said uh i i i'm not i am not reticent to say this is maybe like the best silent movie ever it's definitely the best silent movie i've ever seen despite the fact that like, obviously things were leaning very much in its favor and, and you know, like all of these other elements to my, my well, and my, I also, my... I also think to a weird extent, it kind of at a visceral, at like a primal level for you, it's kind of bleak. So it's already kind of ticking that little <laughs> box within your soul. Like Nosferatu is bleak, but it's different. This is just like, no, we oh, have my- survives. It's just yeah. No, you're actually you're actually right. So again, like sorry for anyone who, like me, up until last week, still hasn't seen this movie from a hundred years ago. Sorry if I'm spoiling anything, but 
uh, I actually hadn't considered how bleak the ending is and 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 how much I love that shit. But like the first thing I the first I'm like they fucking did a Shutter Island. It's just the first thing I thought of. Um, no, no. Let's start so at the beginning. That, let's yeah. start at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah. The sets, the the aesthetic yeah. of the movie is so wonderful, and like it, it, it's it's almost whimsical, right? And even though it's a mm-hmm. horror, I'm like, I bet you fucking five million American dollars that Tim Burton loves this movie. Oh, that without question. If he right? doesn't say that he's not influenced by it, he's full of shit. Yeah, absolutely. He'd be fucking lying. We'd all know it. Um, but it's an aesthetic that I've always enjoyed. It's it's almost like cartoonish, which only yeah. adds to like the darkness of the story. And then the fact that it's a story within a story, uh, and it's a little bit on the longer side. So like by the time you start getting towards the end. You, I mean, like, not only forget that the movie started by a guy going, like, let me tell you the story about this crazy shit that happened to us. Um, But even if you didn't forget that part of it, this foil that you're in, um, Mm -hmm. you don't know when the movie started that those people are mental hospital patients. And it's only when you come back to the very end again and like that you come back to those characters and he's like, right? Wasn't that a wild story? And you're like, I mean, like, not so, I'm not like trying to brag or anything, but like as soon as <laughs> as soon as things start to get revealed, uh, you know, that that's when you have those like those milliseconds like reactions of of guessing the reveal right before it comes. Um, but normally I'm used to having those moments, you know, 20 minutes down the, from the start. So the fact that right. they had me going the whole time and only up until they were right about to reveal, like, by the way, ha ha we tricked you. These guys were in the insane asylum the whole time. Um, they got me, they got me and I fucking appreciate the shit out of that. But also... It, it, that's what makes it this like super bleak, almost heart wrenching, you know, outcome. Uh, Which almost feels inevitable when you consider where it came from. Like this is one of the first times that like German films were allowed to be even screened after World War One, because like you know, spoilers: <laughs> the world was not happy with Germany after World War One. Arguably, mm-hmm. how we treated them laid the foundation for world war ii yes not Uh, not even an argument not even argument but like when you learn more like both the writers of this film were both pacifists during world war one they found the war to be obscene um i think it was uh uh janowitz who did serve Mm -hmm. um and when he left he had nothing but disdain for the very concept of militaries uh, and the state, Good for but him. my this will lead into the whole insane asylum thing. But Mayor, he didn't go to war by pretending to be insane. He spent most of the war being analyzed by German psychologists to find out whether or not he was sane enough to go to war 
and he and he pulled it off the entire time which probably altered his viewpoint on the world and then they wrote this movie not just the world but also the like the, the medical and healthcare system yeah the, the mental yeah. healthcare system yeah. Um, yeah that that actually seems very evident like not only is it the the idea that these patients in this mental healthcare facility are uh, or at least one of them is is living out a fantasy world that involves all of his co-patients but also he's not wrong Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, oh, I, yeah, I have this wild dream that that the the doctor is this sinister guy, and he's the reason that my buddy died. Uh, but then at the end, the doctor turns out to actually be a pretty sinister guy, or at least that's the implication. Yeah. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, just, just like such a fucking like Morbius, Mobius strip of. Of of like sinister dude and un, un a guy who's unwell, right? Uh, there's a better way to like boil that down, but but no, I get what you mean. My point is made, um, right? And yes, you're right. I it, it is it is technically a very bleak outcome that like oh it was all a dream or was it because it turns <laughs> right. out that but because it turns out that like the guy. And I mean, I guess it shouldn't come as some surprise, right? Like, just because you're maybe a little bit insane doesn't mean you're wrong about this one guy who's maybe a bad guy and manipulating you for his own devices. Yeah, no, no. Um, yeah, I loved it so much. I got the t-shirt. Well, the band's oh, t-shirt. Anyway. Look at that. I don't know if I can like, oh, that's cool. give you like, a good picture, but yeah, it's the band is called Sleep Bomb. And they performed a live score to the entire film. And I think I touched on this earlier. One of the things that is like the least uh, satisfying thing for me when watching a silent film, or or maybe I should say like the the thing that is like most jarring Mm -hmm. in a silent film is that the music is frequently not really in rhythm with the story. Like even if it's even if it seems like it is a music that was intended for that film, I'm like, okay, right. well, you've kept this tune the whole time, even though, like, okay, well, now we're in a scene with, like, the bride-to-be and the ill-fated doctor, and now we're in a scene where we're, like, meeting the sinister character for the first time. But the music didn't change. Um, it's, it's... It always... The, the, the music frequently feels out of sync with the storytelling in 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 these uh silent films and i know we talked about this before a lot of it has to do with like you know public domain and what was available at the time and what was in the budgets and Um, also just the style of the era also was a big part of it mm -hmm. and while i'm not going to say that sleep bomb had a different track or, or like hopped back and forth between different songs or pieces uh, from literally one scene to another. Right. Um, But they, but they created an absolute vibe. Um, It was, it was almost entrancing. 
Oh which, man, now I'm super bummed I missed it. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe I'm like overselling it, but I I I felt very like just mentally massaged into the movie by the music. Um, it sounds fantastic. So yeah, yeah don't apologize I, well, for that. Oh, well, I picked up their deep. Like, aside from buying like stickers and a T-shirt and 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 and, and a patch, I also picked up the, their DVD, which they've uh, basically they're reselling the DVD with their soundtrack. What, uh, what's the group called? Over it? Sleep Bomb. I would show you the shirt again, but it's actually quite hard to read this this font. Well, no, I can. I have the internet. Um, but yeah, I have I have a DVD of exactly the experience that I just had, just just you know, on, on a disc. Um, oh shit! They did a vinyl. Oh. Yes, that, uh, I think the vinyl is in pre-order right now. Still, um, nice. All right. Also, like that's how much somebody loves this movie that they decided to uh, make their own score for the movie. I mean, and, and that happens the world on vinyl. That happens with a lot of like horror films. There's been a few of Nosferatu. Philip Glass did an entire new score to Bela Lugosi's Dracula, which I find a little too bombastic for my tastes. But that happens a lot. So, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, all, all this to say, um, it's a wonderful movie it's 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 beautiful to look at the um do you, what do you think without the sleep bomb score it would have affected you as much i don't know and i can like i can never now go back and experience it for the first time a different way sure um i mean i i am super curious to know like well what's what is it originally played too right like, yeah, what, I, don't, what, I don't remember what is the music that <clears throat> that people for you know experienced this movie with the first several years of its life <clears throat> i don't it's it, that yeah that's that has become an unanswerable question and I, I i've spent a weird amount of time thinking about it in the last three days uh in would you want to watch one without their score and see how it works i do i do not like i'm not like clamoring for it uh yeah i feel like if you do like seek out a good restore because again it's like a public domain movie now so like every mm-hmm. you know every distribution dork who can get a hold of it has produced a version of it i'd try to hunt down like a good version mm-hmm. like if criterion has one i'd do that you know what i mean i don't know well, what I, I got the dvd and i think i think that you can do it like with or without the modern score I'll, i don't know i'll figure it out um right. And and I, I do want to do that, but I'm also not in any rush. I right. think I want to just kind of like continue to like soak in in the experience that I just had. Which, by the way, is something I've never said about a silent era film. <laughs> so, you know, like, and I, I mean, like, I mean, I know that music is is <clears throat> is deeply human and important, but I don't know that I can attribute how much I enjoyed the movie strictly to that. I mean, it is possible. This is 100% not within the same genre, but there's this classic Hollywood story that the first time uh, Miramax and Quentin Tarantino streamed Pulp Fiction to an audience without the music, it was one of the lowest rated screenings of all time. 
Um, then they did it again with the soundtrack and it became one of the highest rating and they made no edits other than the music. So, you know. Huh. Interesting. Well, it's weird because I don't really give a shit about Pulp Fiction. I don't either. It's more of an, an it's more of an anecdote of the power of music and film. Yeah, I don't know. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah, no, I I I you're I agree and but again, like that's that's a thing that is now unknowable to me. I almost mm-hmm. wondered before having seen it, and even now, or maybe especially now, like, should I have seen it in its original format before seeing it with a live band doing their own know, I, score? But I think seeing it this way, you got what the filmmakers were trying to say. So it's valid. Yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I love the story that was told and and I loved the aesthetic also, which you know like obviously didn't get changed from, from then mm-hmm. to now. So yeah, I, I, I don't regret it at all. It was a wonderful experience and I really, really enjoyed the movie itself, not just the mm-hmm. experience of having seen it under you know these these myriad circumstances. Um Enough so that I'd be like, I would recommend it as maybe anybody's first silent movie. Sure. Well, uh, before we wrap it up, I have one little thing. First off, that was really great. I, I, you, you make me extra bummed that I missed that night. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, that is what it is. Um, but I will, and I will, I will kind of top this off with something that we, I feel like we can all look forward to for next year. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, Robert Eggers doing his interpretation of Nosferatu. So the guy that did The Vich and The Lighthouse and Northsman is doing Nosferatu. Oh, put that put that on the calendar now. It's already wrapped filming. It's got oh, uh... shocking no no one. A Stars Guard is playing Nosferatu. <laughs> this is, uh, this I do is believe it's a. Uh, Bill Sarsgaard, the youngest. Uh, Lily, the one who uh, did yeah, it, right. Yes, it. Yeah. So I'm, and of course, Aaron. Uh, you know, Aaron Taylor Johnson is in it. Do you mean His, Anya like, Taylor Joy? Yeah. Why did they? No. I don't know who Aaron Taylor Johnson is. I don't either, but he's in it. Um, Lily Rose Depp is in it, which is weird. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's Robert Eggers, who I love. I know the lighthouse was devised for people, but I loved it. Anyway, it's him doing Nosferatu. It's him doing more bleak fucking horror. So, (laughs) All right, so I guess I better get on that Nosferatu train before then. I would love to show you the the Werner Herzog Klaus Kinski one someday. That's the one I, I, I would like to see first. I know there's an older version, but... Again, like I just, well, there's the original, and then there's the clot, there's the Werner Herzog one. So that and right, that's right. that's been it actually. That's true. So mm-hmm. first time in a long time. Um, yeah. I just, I just, I, I, there, there are certain versions of stories where I'm like, this, is, I, I know, like I've, I've gleaned from the world that this is the one, you know. There's a, right. there's a nineteen. 19- 20 or 1918 version of Frankenstein that's on the list. Um, it's the, well, is it the uh, Edison one? 
I don't know. I don't know if it's not it's, my head. It's not just, long. It's like 20 minutes. There's an it's, older one on the list, and I haven't pulled it, but I didn't say that's the one I need to see before I watch Bride. It's not. It's don't don't watch that one. It's the one that like wanky film people like you must see the first Frankenstein. Like no, you don't. Uh, uh, sorry, it's uh, it's nineteen ten. That's I think that's the Edison one. Yes, it is the Edison kinetogram. Is this like on the thumbnail there? Um, yeah, it's it's <coughs> as a piece of cinematic history, it is interesting. As a film, it is not good. It's just not. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's and it's 16 minutes long. It's on YouTube. If you really want to watch it, watch it. 16 minutes long? Yeah. Oh wow. I mean it's not well, anybody. Shit was hard back then, man. <laughs> That's true. It's ten years earlier than anything else I've seen. Yeah, and it's like the monster in Edison Kinetogram Frankenstein looks more like a like a kabuki performer than a monster. It's it's weird. It's weird. Well, again, I'm in no rush. If it comes, if, yeah, if I pull just, it, I pull it. But and and just as a reminder, that era of filmmaking, like every other breakthrough of technology, um, only survived because of porn. Like they tried doing highbrow stuff, and someone's like, "But what if we film titties, dongs, and butts?" Well, on that note, and they're like, "That will put butts in the seats," and it did. It's. Uh, I didn't want to end on porn. You, you brought us here. But it, but it was more of like a, a, a like a comment on. That's what saved VHS. That's why we have DVDs. That's why we have Blu-ray instead of HD DVD. It's 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 why the internet survived the '90s. I know people don't like it, but porn keeps technology going. It's just, goddamn it, Famasar Farco. You said we're giving everybody a happy ending. You're a monster. Well, on that note. On that note, uh, we'll be back next week with probably more movies. Probably. I mean, maybe we can pull off the Return of the Living Dead. And what's the other one? There are several other ones. I know, but there was one that we're like, we'll watch them back to bath or whatever. So oh, oh, we'll, we'll try. Oh, uh, Phantom of the Opera in the 1980s. Yeah, uh, the the Robert Englund one. Yeah. Yes. That Although fun. that one's not on the list, which is a crime. But Well, we've reviewed stuff that's not on the list this month already. So That's true. All right. All right. Fine. Well, we'll with that, I am Aron Duran. And I'm Bina And we will see everybody next week. Bye. Watch out for zombies. <laughs> Double tap. And that's been an all new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Thank you so much for listening. As always, Geek in the City Radio will come to you 100% free, but it's only free because of folks like Guardian Games, 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. Guardian Games is flat out just one of the best game stores in the country, and we are so lucky to have them here in Portland, Oregon. Um, You know, normally I talk about, like, all the different games and stuff you can get, but this time I'm going to tell you that the Guardian Games vibe is no longer limited to 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. No, no, not at all. They now have two other locations, so um, 
A few years ago, they acquired Rainy Day Games out in Hillsboro. You know, kind of kept that stuff going out there at Rainy Day Games. But only recently, they have converted Rainy Day Games into Guardian Games Westside. Um, I don't think they call it that. I think they just call it Guardian Games Hillsboro. So yeah, no need to cross the river anymore if you want to get some fantastic games. And then also, to our neighbors to the south... Guardian Games is in Corvallis, and you'll definitely want to, if you live in that region, you will definitely want to check out Guardian Games Corvallis. So it doesn't matter where you live uh, within Oregon, there's a Guardian Games within a couple hours of you, and really, you need to check it out. But of course, if you live within the Portland metro area, you want to go to the home store, the, uh, the, the original board cube, as it were, at 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon, Guardian Games. And when you're there, please thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio.